Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Today we're talking alcohol addiction and recovery with my guest, Keith Kay, who has written a book titled Sustainable Recovery. Now, uh, reading a little bit from his website, he says, My name is Keith. Well on my way to becoming a hopeless alcoholic, I got sober in the traditional 12-step way. Over the course of my recovery, my life's journey brought me outside the mainstream of the conventional conventional way people get sober. I became first a registered nurse, then studied alternative and energy healing, and then moved on to psychology, science, and spirituality of personal transformation. I realized that my sobriety was effortless. I never thought about or wanted to use alcohol or drugs. Never. While recovery is challenging, my physical sobriety is easy. Wow. I'm so thankful that Keith is making time to, t- to talk with me today, and I extend a very big welcome to him. Keith, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Hi, Alana. Oh, good, good. Good to have you here. How's things over there your way? We're, we're enjoying a balmy New England <laughs> afternoon out here. Okay. New and, England. And thank you so much for that kind introduction. That was wonderful. Thanks. Yeah. I was going through um, your website. You know, I try to prepare well for my guests before my show, and I just I was really touched with a lot of things, and especially as I was taking the time to you know read through your book. So I want to make sure we we cover a lot of that, and the audience gets um, a lot of the message that you have that I took from you today. Now I want to start off. Uh, the book that you've uh, written is called Sustainable Recovery, like I mentioned, and along with recovery, it talks about a lot of your life, and um, I want to spend some time you know, introducing my audience to you. Uh, one of the interesting things that I did notice while reading your book, um, you started drinking, uh, experimenting with alcohol at a very, very early age, correct? That's true. And about uh, what age was that? Could you share? 11, 12. 11, 12. How did that come about, dear? I had an unnatural preoccupation with alcohol from the time I was a little boy, somehow. Mm-hmm. It just started with uh, watching my father enjoy a, a beer in a very healthy uh, social drinking manner and I it just took on a life of its own very early on very a total preoccupation total preoccupation so um, 11 or 12 so I guess people are listening like you know um, wow that's very early but I've heard more stories like yours where, you know, it starts very early at home. And I, I also read in your story that your father was not, um, he would offer you uh, sips of beer from time to time, correct? He would, yeah. Okay, okay. Do you have kids of your own now? I do not. I have a cat who I'm, <laughs> I, I think may, may in, he, he's heard about this uh, lessons that, that we learned from cats thing you're doing. Oh! I think he, <laughs> he, he may wander in. 
Okay, okay. I, I tell everybody, cats have been one of my best source of teachers sometimes in life. The things that they go through, you know, I just kind of sit and look at them and say, you know, okay, I, I see the life lesson in that. So, but I, I think I know where you're where you're headed with that. My father was was European uh, okay. in, in his upbringing, so they had a, a different sensibility about that. And and where you know alcohol over there is not the forbidden fruit it is here to children. Perhaps it, it may have been different. There, there was a, a fascination with, with what was forbidden. But if I had children, um, see, this is my gift. I, I don't have anything but a neutral disposition about gotcha. alcohol today. Okay. And, you know, that's the interesting thing you bring up. You know, different cultures have different um, outlooks on certain things. And, sure. you know, it's not uncommon for, you know, a young person to be uh, introduced to some things and they don't have such a neg- negative connotation. But here in American society, you know, a lot of uh, us would look at that like, wow, you know, that's such a terrible thing a parent to do. And, you know, sometimes we do see negative outcomes as a result of that. But going back to you started off at 11 and 12. Was it um, how quickly did it migrate uh, or transgress to a, something that we could call a problem? In my social situations, I, I guess I had some older friends. Mm-hmm. And I rem- recall one day just getting that perfect glow. Mm-hmm. I, I probably spent the next, the better part of the next two decades trying to reproduce that. I drank a, a little uh, passing a bottle of rum back and forth with a couple of older friends. Uh, bottle stolen from someone's father or something and not having too much and, and sort of feeling that perfect euphoria, sense of confidence, kind of the artificial enhancement uh, that it, I, you know, I went home, I had the courage to call a girl ah. and, and then, and then I got involved in music, of course. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a different, and especially going back a few decades, there's a different approach to that, you know, business and, and pleasure are, are, Sort of the it is the business of pleasure, mm-hmm. music, which is something I pursued quite vigorously in in uh, my youth. Okay. Well, how did you? Let's talk about that. How did you uh, get involved with the music? I blame it on Ringo. <laughs> the Beatles. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and and I, I just saw what a blast he was having back there, wailing away on those old Ludwigs, and I started taking lessons, and I, I knew I wanted to. Uh, entertain and play in rock bands. And then that became much more about the music for me, which I later realized was kind of my own personal quest Mm -hmm. for spirituality, interestingly. Okay. Now, that's kind of a lifestyle that seems to um, kind of go hand in hand with addiction. Yes. (laughs) So you kind of were putting yourself in a situation to kind of feed off off of another problem that was probably already floating around there oh yes yeah and, and you know the role models uh jim morrison jimmy hendrix and mm-hmm. and uh the people that lived fast and left good-looking corpses mm-hmm. uh, that was sort of the the environment i guess the influence wow so i'm i'm gonna assume or is it safe to assume that um maybe with with the alcohol and then the the music the high school years kind of became problematic by the time I was about 15, I think I was a freshman, I might be found out on a, a school night, a weeknight, playing in a bar with much older bandmates, uh, getting paid in drinks. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I could, you know, sort of sort of pass for the legal drinking age at the time. It, it was it was debatable, but I just sort of had a little uh, a little nerve about me and I just walk up to the bar and 
order a scotch and get away with it, I guess. That's how it <laughs> okay. So what were mom and dad doing when they were watching their son kind of go down this little pit here? Well, they, they weren't paying a lot of attention, I guess. My parents divorced when I was about uh, a little before 11 and 12, and and uh, they, they were both great people, great parents, smart, and, but they were also the products of their time, their culture, their environment, and it, it was a little different then. I was reflecting on this with a, a high school friend who uh, is a parent, and the focus of, of parenting, at, you know, in, in this day and age, and it has been for a while, is is you know, total attention, you know, kids are, are transported everywhere and mm-hmm. and so forth. And this was a time when it was just a little bit different. You know, I walked to school back and forth most days. And, uh, you know, I, I we used to hitchhike in those days, mm-hmm. Lana. You may recall. Well, you, you yeah. look pretty youthful, so, you know. 46. I just turned 46, so I'm up there. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you, dear. Yeah. No, and, you know, I would brazenly get out on the road and stick my thumb out or, uh, you know, or get on my bike and mm-hmm. and go places. And, you know, and we just lived in a town where, you know, and in a time where it was the mandate of the local constabulary, the police <laughs> force, to protect and, and, you know, sort of give the kids a ride home rather than gotcha. you know, take them downtown and, and book them. That gotcha. kind of thing. Although yeah, that did happen on one occasion where there was just it was just over the top. That's, that's sort of a, a an anecdote uh, that's in the book as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it is. It is different times that we're dealing with. And you know, me growing up, you know, I often say that you know I do in some ways feel sorry for today's generation because there is um, sort of an innocence that they kind of you know miss out on because we do. We do kind of hover over them, and, and there's something that happens when you do get to explore. Sometimes it's not a good thing, but, you know, it's it's part of your personal growth when you do get to kind of venture out and explore certain things on your own or with your friends and, and discover some of the things that this world does have to offer. You know, but sometimes there are some negative connotations to that. Now, you um, – I was reading in your book, there was one time, I guess – I, th- I think you say that's your defining moment when you, you really shifted. You and a friend had decided that that was going to be your goal, to to get drunk. And you, you actually went out and, and got some alcohol. I think you went in, um, went out for camping that night or something. Did I? Am I yes. Familiarize me with the story there. Little, Tell me the story. That I, I believe I was 13 and mm-hmm. about to start junior high school, or, or middle school as they call it nowadays, the following day. So, yeah, so we pitched a tent way out in the in the woods nearby and uh, set out to get drunk on a brand of uh, cheap <laughs> commercial wine. I'll, I'll leave it at that because I don't want to promote or, or, uh-huh. or, or slander uh, anybody's product because it's probably yes. still out there. And the, the results were predictable. I, <laughs> you know, became ill, not not being a, a seasoned consumer. And, uh, yeah, I, I was sick as a dog. For, I was still green two days later when I started school. Uh-huh. Now I'm going to... I'm going to ask a question, and you can answer for me. Maybe um, you know I've never drank in my life, and one of the questions I've always had is, you know, that first experience you had where I'm, I'm physically ill, I'm vomiting or whatever. That is not a good experience, correct? Well, here's the thing: the alcoholic will 
embrace that experience differently somehow mm-hmm. than the normal drinker. Mm-hmm. I think if now a normal person might consume too much wine or, or mm-hmm. one particular type of alcohol on a given occasion, and and for the rest of their life, the thought of that will make them start to feel the same feelings, the same nausea, uh, or 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 at least have thoughts of it. Not so for the alcoholic, okay? If there, there's some sort of statute of limitations, and then it's <laughs> over. Because if, if that happened with me and everything that I got sick on, it, it, back in the day, I would have ran out of things I could drink without mm-hmm. having that association. It, it seems to, there seems to be a difference between the way somebody who is predisposed to alcoholism might feel about that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense because, you know, it's always been um, a curiosity to me because, you know, with a little baby, you know, they go and touch the stove. Oh, it's hot. I'm not going to do that anymore. But with the alcoholic, it's like they've had that experience, that very unpleasant experience of, you know, I'm leaning over the porcelain, you know, toilet. And, you know, I'm like, ah, this is not this is not a good feeling. But yet, you know what? I'm going to do this again. You know, and so- we can't wait to do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Perverse so it's first <laughs> thing about it. Yeah. You know, it's always been an interesting little, uh, you know, the, the element of psychology to me that what what makes you go back and back again for that self punishment. But you know, you know, you you kind of well, defined it there. So it's a pathological state of mind. It's it's uh, it's an illness. It's a uh, it's not healthy to be sure. Awesome. Okay. Good points. Well, Keith, we are going to take our first commercial break here. Hang in there with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Today, today I'm hanging out with the author of the book, Sustainable, Recover- Sustainable Recovery, Mr. Keith Kay. And before the commercial break, uh, we were talking about how, how this journey all started for him. And he was explaining to us that about 11 years old was when he uh, first started experimenting with alcohol. Now, um, First of all, let me ask you, how many years of sobriety do we have now? I am 24 years clean and sober. Awesome, awesome. Congratulations to Thank that. Thank you. So we were at the point of, you know, high school, we're doing the music thing, we've got a whole bunch of liquid, liquid, uh, liquid courage in us, and we're, you know, doing these things. I'm pretty sure we uh, got some girlfriends and stuff like that. So what happens after high school? You go to... Went to music school for a while, went on the road. Came home, played in bands, drank, had day jobs that were <laughs> going to get me by until fame and fortune came my way, and uh-huh. I drank, and I partied, and I never expected to see my 30s. Okay. And um, did I read correctly? Your mom was kind of in the same path as you, correct? Yeah. She uh, was a daily drinker, and... Uh, actually died uh, of the ravages of, of the disease of alcoholism. And that was one of the turning points, I guess one of the, the milestones, one of the, the signposts, that's what we call them, mm-hmm. that the end of my drinking uh, was, was in sight, although I, did, I didn't quite know it at the time. It was sort of the, the uh, as I like to put it, uh, my life began to circle the drain. Okay. Okay. Now, let me ask you this without, you know, 
telling everybody's business, but I do know you have other siblings. Were you the only one in the family who struggled with this? or? Um, I was. I was the oldest, and it just seemed to be my particular way of handling um, life on life's terms, or, or rather, you know, dodging the handling of life on life's terms, sure. Okay. So after... Um, you know, the school and the odd jobs and stuff like this. I, I know you you have your mother over here going through her thing. Was your father supportive of you throughout this time? or? No, I, I uh, don't want to throw him under the bus here. Gotcha. But, I understand. Uh, no, he uh, actually remarried and mm-hmm. uh, moved on to, uh, you know, his, his focus his attention on, on uh, his next family. Okay, okay. So is it safe to say that you really had no plan you know i'm just kind of floating around trying to figure out where i'm going to get the money to get either to another drum set or either get some more alcohol well i i latched on to a you know through no particular wisdom or insight i started to get involved in healthcare okay. and i became a surgical technologist went to a diploma program and and started working in operating rooms uh, of all places so here here's a kind of a dichotomy a little bit of a <laughs> Uh, a paradox. I, I started to join that regular guy world with health benefits and paid vacations mm-hmm. and a you know and an air of respectability. I'm, I'm working in healthcare. I help the surgeons mm-hmm. and say you know contribute to the curing of cancer on a daily basis. And at night I'm you know I'm playing in the bands and and, and partying it up and you know and the, and the partying it up and the playing in the bands and and all the wild stuff sort of eh, toward toward the end of my my drinking really began to push into that you know sort of semblance of a normal existence yeah okay okay so you are um having a normal ex- uh sort of a normal lifestyle we mentioned a little a few moments ago your mother was kind of the turning point for things for you what actually brought you to rehab for the first time alcoholism pure oh. pure and simple it is a progressive debilitating illness and and part and parcel uh, of the alcoholic way of life, and it starts to insinuate itself into your way of being is uh, crushing anxiety mm-hmm. and an inability to cope, the, the loss of coping skills, and what really started to happen, you know, problems and, and conflict and issues in every part of my life, my relationship, my, my work, uh, socially, musically, mm-hmm. just really starting to, to fail, to sputter, to stall. And uh, so it, it really came in the form of a, a bit of a meltdown. And, you know, oh. si- six months later, people are kind of, after my mother passed away six months prior, uh, you know, people are, are saying, okay, well, he's, he's a little stressed and he's dealing with a loss. And so so they checked me into a local mental health facility mm. uh, where I spent about a week and they asked a lot of questions about my drinking and I wasn't ready to okay. address that but they, they planted a seed there and I went into an orientation period where I had to work this out for, for myself I you know still couldn't I, I somehow my, my and this is the the quest of, of most 
alcoholic drinkers. They somehow want to drink normally again. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, I entertain this for a little while, thinking, okay, if I solve all my problems, I'll, I'll be able to drink like a gentleman. <laughs> and that had to be, that, that whole illusion had, had to be destroyed. I needed to work through that. So they checked you. So I guess what I'm hearing is that first bout of being checked in didn't work out well. Did you have rehab another time after that? I did not. I actually, the second time around when I, when I hit my bottom, I detoxed myself at home, okay. which I later realized was it's not a good idea. <laughs> but by that time, I'd, I'd already been through that. Having since in life worked in medical detoxes as a, as a registered nurse, I know the, the foolishness of, of what I did, but here I am. I, I survived, but I don't recommend that to anybody uh, out there. I, I would recommend a, a safe, medical medically supervised detox for anybody going through the, the throes of withdrawal. Okay. So when did you cross paths with Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step program? I, I was first introduced to this at, at that rehab during that first week, and they, they impressed on me. Uh, something made an impression enough that I started. Okay, maybe I can learn something from these people. Mm-hmm. They they look like they're they've got it going on. They they get along with each other. They handle life's problems. And you know I was clueless about this. Somehow I felt like the day they'd been handing out the manuals for being a human being, I was off getting drunk or something. And mm-hmm. you know I, I I didn't get the memo or something. And, and they seem to you know in uh, as they say intuitively handle situations which used to baffle them and still baffled me. So I wanted what they had, and I set about, you know, wanting what they had without wanting to do what they did. Uh-huh. I spent a few months trying to figure it out, trying to analyze it, and, and of course I'm still analyzing it, but but it from a much different perspective. So ultimately, my life started to circle the drain again, mm-hmm. and I went on a last final bender. And then I put down the drink. I became completely ready. And and to do that, I had to reach a bottom. I reached the point of, you know, pacing the floor, feeling like I, I, I can't go on living like this, but I didn't want to die. Pretty intense. Mm. I was, wow. I was at the breaking point. Wow. Well, we're glad that you found the uh, 12-step pro and you're here with us today. Now, what I want to ask you is, there might be some people out there in the audience that are not familiar really with the design or the concepts of the Alcoholic Anonymous 12-step program. Could you explain some of the core principles of this program? Excellent. It would be my pleasure. About 80 years ago, in fact, 80 years ago in June this year, two men formed, well, they, they one of them had a strong desire to stay sober and the other was a little marginal on that, but they <laughs> they connected somehow and found they had a dynamic. Now, one was a, a promoter kind of guy, a, a, a thinker, and the other was a, a physician, kind of grounded, and they seemed to just have a wonderful dynamic that complemented each other. And they found through, through their experience together that they could stay sober when helping each other. Mm-hmm. And they realized, okay, we if we help some other suffering person, now that we're kind of getting it, Perhaps we can spread this. And as we say today, it, it, it went viral. So the core principles, as you asked, are, are based on uh, a suggested program of recovery, which they, you know, I, I think it's divinely inspired, but they, they designed this 
they have a kind of a core textbook called Alcoholics Anonymous. It's often referred to as the big book, and it's in four parts. The first part kind of outlines their ideas about alcoholism, what they, they know, what they've observed, and what, what works, and how, how to come to terms with that. Uh, kind of parallel to that are the famous 12 steps, which Alcoholics Anonymous, or the, the two uh, founders, came up with. Um, they designed this sort of progressive, uh, really uh, very coherent uh, kind of program of recovery that sort of focuses on the relationship with alcohol. And, you know, as Einstein said, the mind that creates a problem is incapable of solving it. Mm-hmm. So what they, they realized was that, okay, we need to draw on some greater resource. Okay. And, and, and of course, in 80 years ago in, in Ohio, where, where they, they <laughs> sort of formed this, you know, it, it was kind of a, blue-collar, white Christian boys club. So a lot of the language was framed in, you know, Bill Wilson, the founder, one of the founders, went to the local cardinal a few times and said, can we say this like this? And, you know, and so so they kind of wound up with this language that, you know, is a little difficult for some, uh, you know, kind of framed in a religious context. But, you know, it, it, it makes no requirement, no demands that, anyone believe on that. So then the steps focus on first kind of assessing the damage you've done to yourself, mm-hmm. take, taking a good look at that, um, working, focusing on changing the defects of character that have formed over a drinking career, mm-hmm. um, making things right with the people, places, and, and things uh, in, in, in our world, in our environment. And, and then you know, and, and this is why I have so much appreciation for this. It's it's almost like the scientific process or, or nursing process, which I learned about in my work, where, okay, we, we implement these changes, and then we assess them. Mm. They're, 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 the 10th step is where we, again, take an inventory. How's my program doing? How am I doing? And then it looks at uh, sort of a stronger look at the relationship with something greater and suggests prayer and meditation as a way to uh, enhance that. And, you know, 50 years ago, they were endorsing meditation, which is so ahead of the curve. And then then the 12th step is carrying that message to others uh, and, and spreading the word. So, you know, the thing, as we say today, went viral, and, and there's millions of recovering alcoholics who, who use this model. And my ideas about recovery build atop this as, as a platform. Okay. I like that. I like that. Um, I'm looking at the time. I was about to ask the next question, but I said, let me go ahead. and We'll take a commercial break real quick, and we'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back. Today I'm spending some time with Mr. Keith Kay, who has written a book called Sustainable Recovery. And uh, before the commercial break, he had taken the time to uh, go over the 12-step Alcoholics Anonymous program uh, for us. And 
it kind of tied into what I read on the back of your book. You have this part that says, for the contemporary addict, attaching meaning to 80-year-old instruction is frustrating. And I'm assuming that part of that was uh, when you said, you know, some of the language is uh, religious in nature. So what other challenges does the today's addict find with the 12-step recovery program? A vague set of directions, which I guess I outlined, there is a lack of direction for anybody new. There is no, you know, here, here, here's what happens, you know, the first day of a new job, you, you know, you, you come in, they sit you down, they show a brief video or something, you get your policy and procedure manual, mm-hmm. and to the person who decides, okay, I'm going to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. They may go online. They may uh, pick up the phone and dial an 800 number, and it is a complete crapshoot as to mm. whether they will wind up in a place that is beginner-friendly or walk in 15 minutes late after they found the right door, and there'll be 20 people in a darkened room with a candle sitting there meditating, and they'll think they've arrived at a cult rather than an Alcoholics Anonymous. And this is uh, unfortunate, and I don't have a clear-cut solution to this, but what I want to offer is a little bit better guidance in terms of, okay, what is the procedure? What what is the motivation? What, what How do we attach meaning to these steps that we're doing. I point out that they are are, are progressive, how one builds off the other. Mm-hmm. And I also, okay, and, and this, this probably was my mother's barrier to getting into Alcoholics Anonymous. Actually, I re- recall a family friend trying to bring her to AA meetings. Mm-hmm. And the religious framework was a problem for her. So explaining and offering a progressive-minded, open, user-friendly guide to something greater, offering some some suggestions, perhaps even injecting a a little science into that, I, I think. Because nowadays... You know, we're a little we're a little different. We we live in a faster, mm-hmm. shorter attention span culture uh, where our, our information now doubles every five years, and and our information and uh, has doubled, you know, probably a dozen times since the 1930s. When it, you know, our culture has moved on. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So we need something. To you know, I'm I'm not advocating replacing AA, redoing AA. Mm-hmm. What I want to offer is something that builds off the the traditional infrastructure that's already there, but gives people a little bit more of an idea of what we're doing here. Attaches more meaning to it, explains it in a little bit more current culture approach, I guess. I got you. Okay, understood. Now, let me ask you, is it, in this program design, um, is there a an element or component for the loved ones or the family of the alcoholic? 
in Alcoholics Anonymous? Yes. Yes, yes, there is. There, there is okay. a, an approach to uh, to rebuilding shattered lives. Essentially, okay. that may may mean um, there's a, there's a chapter called Two Wives, which again sort of hints at the culture uh, of the time. It was certainly before equality of the genders, are, mm-hmm. you know, which, which are is kind of a a given in our you know in our time frame. And uh, to employers and uh, the family afterward. Uh, so yeah, they, they they certainly do address that. And there's you know a need to rebuild uh, and repair damage. The, the baggage that we bring into our recoveries certainly is is not something that we can take into a new vision of life and recovery. Okay. Now another thing that I know is very key in the program is this. Uh this element of a sponsor. And, you know, sometimes we're kind of knuckleheads, we're hard-headed, and, you know, I'll fix my problem on my own. Why is this this element of a sponsor so very key and important in this program? Well, you, you very astutely just zeroed in on a big part of it, uh, the the need to accept help, mm-hmm. to be, be a little bit humble, to, to let go of, you know, the, we like to say, the crushing juggernaut of self-sufficiency. <laughs> uh, it's also... Their version of that policy and procedures manual, which I said was missing. Now, uh, do they assign us sponsors? No. Uh, there are people that we'll, we'll encounter who, you know, we may feel a, a resonance with, and, and that's the, the ideal approach and to be a little bit patient about it. But some people really need help the day they walk in the door. And this is one of the unfortunate parts of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. They have a, some, some meetings and groups will offer temporary sponsors, which there, there's no supervision, there's mm. no oversight, and they might as well be saying, and, and this is where I get a little controversial, they might as well be announcing when they say, would the temporary sponsors identify themselves? They might as well be saying, would the sickest people in the room raise their hand? Because it's, it's, there's no guarantees with this. And people who are out looking to mentor others in that way, that, that might be a little suspect. Yes, not everybody's prepared to mentor. Um, so that brings me to the next question. You know, when you decide to sponsor somebody, do you have to go through some sort of two-week class or are you just randomly throwing people out there and saying, hey, you sponsor this person? No, there, there's no certification program. There's no... <laughs> There's no licensing. Well, you raise you raise a really good point, Lana, and and you are an amazing interviewer. I have to like put that right out there because I'm I'm really loving your your questions. This is one of one of the criticisms. There was recently a legal issue in on, on the West Coast, mm-hmm. uh, kind of around this type of issue. AA of necessity is is a very hands off. Uh, Organization. There, there really is a loose organization uh, in terms of infrastructure, and you know, but no, there, there's just nobody taking accountability. There's nobody taking mm. responsibility for what goes on, you know, at, at the group level, and it's it's kind of a free for all out there. I'm yeah. Afraid. So again, right. this this sort of gives gives testimony to my assertion that. The challenges facing the person in recovery. You know, we we need some clear directions. That's yes, true, true. And you have uh, in your book, sustainable recovery. You have kind of introduced some 
adjustments, some additions to the program. So I want to talk about, you know, you've taken it further. What kinds of uh, tools, tactics, methods are you adding to it? Well, when you say I've, I've taken it further, I, I really appreciate that uh, statement. Uh, the founder of AA, Bill Wilson, was a guy who used to like to sit around and think. <laughs> he was happy lying on his couch for six hours thinking about ways to help the alcoholic. And, and this is my sole motivation. I, this is my passion. I am motivated by purpose. I am on a mission because I have made the changes in my life that, that I want. And when you, once you do that, all you want to do is give back. Mm-hmm. And, and I seem to just be someone who's had these experiences. So what, what I kind of propose, yeah, a couple of things that are a little bit different. Uh, than, than the standard program. Okay, powerlessness. There is this theme of you are powerless over alcohol and everything else. And, in fact, human beings are tremendously powerful creatures. Anybody with a spiritual perspective would, would understand that, that we are spiritual beings having transient human experiences. It, it, you know, that happens to be my particular belief system. But, but even so... It, Humans are tremendously resilient. We have bodies that you can't stop from healing. You know, we, we are adaptable. We are, you know, able to evolve our, ourselves and we are capable of tremendous change. So that's, that's one of the first things I, I kind of look at. I, I want to empower people to, you know, not give up on a, on the necessary humility, being, being right sized, having, uh, reasonable goals and aspirations, but, you know, the idea of complete powerlessness is, is not an absolute. It's, it shouldn't be so black and white. People need to understand this a little better. Another thing I advocate for, and, and this also differs a little bit from the standard model, I believe we need to have a vision. I need to get really clear on what I want to accomplish in recovery, how I want my life and my recovery to be, and the changes I want to make. Whereas the standard AA model really encourages people to keep it in the moment, keep it in the day, one day at a time. And this this is very important. The first day, yes, keep it in the moment. Keep it in the second mm-hmm. if you're struggling with the desire to drink. But we structure our reality in time, units of time, days, weeks, months, and as we stay sober for weeks, months, even years, okay, we we need to step back a little bit and take a long view, okay? Great people did not do great things by accident. They had to have some kind of vision, and and, and so this is, you know, this is my modification, I guess, of, of the one day at a time. I certainly abide by the need for people in the beginning, to keep it simple, as they <laughs> say. But we also need to get clear on, on where we're going. Okay. So how does this work? Do Does Keith sit down and meet with the big wigs of AA and say, you know, we're going to put out a 2016 new and improved version of the AA big book or, I mean, our... Well, is, is, heck no. <laughs> 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 I, I don't. I don't see that. That I don't believe they have a, a research and development department. Oh I, darn! <laughs> probably would have requested a meeting. No, my my approach here is, you know, I'm 
at the time, for, for the time being, I'm staying within a reasonable, I'm bending, but not breaking. Okay. A strong suggestion that I not break my anonymity at the level of media. That's one of okay. AA's. Yeah, it's not a bylaw. They call them traditions. Uh, Keith K is not my, my last name. Uh, I have started to use my picture. On, I'm, I'm going to be the featured expert on a big recovery website in a couple months. And, and as I, you know, want to get the, the book out there, these ideas into people's grasp. So they, they can weigh it for themselves. It, it may not, it won't be for everybody. But as the famous physicist Max Planck once said, um, I'll paraphrase. Our, our, our ideas are not necessarily going to change the minds of, of their, their opponents. Uh, they'll just sort of move on and the next generation will, will come in having learned these from, from scratch. Mm. So, you know, this is, this is part of my approach to spiritual change. I may not be around to see it and that's okay. I just want to put some of these ideas out for people in in the hopes of improving their lives and their recoveries. Okay, I like that, and I'm glad to be a part of that process and helping to get out there. We are going to take our very last commercial break of the day. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back. Today I'm hanging out with Mr. Keith Kay, who is author of the book, Sustainable Recovery. Now, Keith, when exactly did you decide to sit down and write this book? I've been thinking about this for 10 years, and I sat down and started to write the book two years ago in earnest. Okay. And it, it, it just became time. I, I guess I had to become ready. Okay. Okay. And you, you share a lot of real personal info it, did it take you a while to get to that place or the humbling retelling of, of personal tragedy and mistakes and that's it, a very necessary thing okay. uh, you know I'll put myself right out there especially if it's gonna gonna help somebody and, and as as for the rest I guess I had to have experiences conducive to rounding out my life experience to the point where I, you know, really have something to offer. Okay. okay. Have something to offer. Now, you know, there's a lot of people listening that, uh, you know, might be going, have, have addictions, and they come in all forms. You know, mine happens to be double stuff Oreos, and, you know, some people might be gambling, yours is alcohol. Um, and, you know, some of us feel, I can, I can handle this myself. We've talked about this earlier. Can you share with us who Keith was when he was an alcoholic versus who Keith is today? Good question. I was... I was a different person in mm -hmm. many ways. I had no spiritual basis for living. I had no understanding of a big picture of my relationship to everything else. Someone with a disease of addiction is very egocentrical, very focused on, on self and, and their gratification. And alcoholism is a particularly hedonistic uh, approach to life. I became someone that thinks about 
others. I became someone that understands, or at least strives on a daily basis, to understand my place, my, my real place in relationship to everything, everyone else. I'm, I'm no better than, no less than, but I, but I have my place in this universe, the same as we all do. Now, when you encounter people who are in their own journey, you know, of trying to uh, get through recovery, and they say to you, Keith, I, I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody to help me. What do you say to them? That there there is help should they decide they want it. And the only person that can make a decision as to whether someone suffers and and would be labeled with a, one of the various diseases of addiction. You're absolutely right. It comes in many forms. Uh, an addiction is an unhealthy dependence on a something. It could be a person. Mm-hmm. It, it could be a, a substance. It could be a activity like gambling. Or, to the point where control is lost. Okay, and and recognizing that I've lost control, and and. and Becoming willing, you know, making having a strong desire to change. That's that's the motivation. Many people enter recovery just because they want the bad things to stop. Mm-hmm. Some people enter recovery because they want to get good things back that they've lost. That's a sort of reward motivation. Then there's the ethical. It's it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's the personal conviction. Uh, I said I was going to do it, so I have to do it. <laughs> Go on willpower, and then there's purpose motivation, mission motivation. This is this is what I'm blessed with. I didn't start out that way, <laughs> but I moved up the scale, and my motivation is to help others to make their own choice. I guess. Okay, awesome, awesome. You know, like I said, I just some it's it's a whole state of being when you you're in that 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 moment of your life, and. Um, you know, like I said, I just think sometimes, you know, we're, we're so hard-headed and we're so stubborn as human beings to, you know, actually say, you know, I need to look at myself and say I have a problem, you know. And just that part of the journey is so tough for us. You, and it's just sometimes you need somebody outside of you to say, you know, knock, knock, you know, Lana, Keith. Uh, oh, yeah. We, we kind of need to look at this here. We kind of need to look at this. Well, society does it for some. Mm-hmm. Loved ones or, or careers do it for, for others. And, you know, we're, we're not for the external world telling me, sending me these messages. I don't know if, if I would have entered recovery. Okay. So are you actively um, involved with AA now or do you sponsor people? Oh, yes. I, I, I attend meetings. I, I, I sponsor people. And I'm, you know, in my, my local area, I, I do not promote my book at meetings. I don't, you know, I'm not, uh, if I'm destined to be a public figure, I will always be that guy that <laughs> all those strange ideas here in the local setting. And, uh, yeah, I, I sponsor, I, I'm, I'm just one of the, one of the local folks, I guess. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I, I, you brought up, I never knew about. So you're kind of, you live under the radar when you are associated with AA, but now you have to kind of balance a little tightrope now that you are? Well, I have a very, as, as I've outlined, I have a very progressive approach to recovery, and that carries right into how, how I work it and how I explain it to others and, and the example I set, mm-hmm. which is 
which is what we do. It's a program of attraction rather than promotion. And if, if people gravitate toward toward me and my message, but but here's what you know people seem to pick up on. I'm a happy guy. I am in, in love with life, and that is the fruit of my my efforts. And recovery to me, the disease of, of alcoholism and, and, and addiction and the whole thing, it, it, it was, you know, the biggest gift in my life, to, to, to be sure, because it gave me something to overcome. And that's a tremendous human accomplishment coming to terms with an addiction. I'm not taking a bow myself, but I'm saying for all the people out there, no matter where they might be in that process, coming to terms with an addiction, is a tr- we won't get ticker tape parades or medals, but coming to terms with an addiction is amazing. Biggest gift, biggest gift. Wow. So what's next on the pipeline for Keith now? I am doing a lot of blogging and will be, as I mentioned, a featured expert uh, on, uh, can can I say the website? Go ahead, dear. Addictionland.com. Okay. Uh, is a is a marvelous site that was started by uh, a woman on her own journey, mm-hmm. and it uh, is kind of a clearinghouse for resources for all manner uh, of addictions across the board, like like you were saying, everything from from gambling to overeating and me and my uh, Oreos, right? I'll find a spot. Those insidious Oreos. <laughs> That's me. I can't even buy them and bring them in the house. It's epic. And uh, this, this fall, I will be up and running, hopefully giving multimedia presentations. I've got one kind of on the horizon so far. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm just going to go where, where this takes me, try and spread the message of sustainable recovery. And, and uh, Lana, thank you so much for, oh. for this opportunity. Um, I have a website, sustainablerecovery.org. Sustainable Recovery Book is on Facebook. Please, please like us if you're so inclined. And, uh, wow, thank you. You are a great interviewer, Lana. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, no problem. Thank you. You've been a wonderful guest. So let me make sure I get this right. So we've got you uh, appearing on ad- uh, addictionland.com uh, shortly. When, when can we expect that? I'm going to be the featured expert for the month of September. And I have a few blogs up there now, and I'm working hard on, on my next uh, submission. Okay. Right uh, so we'll look for that in September. So we've got the book, Sustainable Recovery. And where do people pick up a copy of the book at? It's available on Amazon uh, in paperback and Kindle. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have so enjoyed you today and, uh, you know, you sharing with us. Uh, once again, everybody, my guest today has been Mr. Keith K. Please visit his website, sustainablerecovery.org. Also, make sure in September you check out addictionland.com. Uh, Keith, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me today. I enjoyed you. Thank you, Lana. Well, that is all for this week's show. I'll be back at the uh, back at next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and there's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week. <laughs>